I'm um, just wanted to recommend a book to all your listeners too. I'm not sure if you had the guy on your program. I can't pronounce his last name. It's Jason Oast or something like that. He wrote, came out with a book, uh, Darkness Walks or Darkness Falls, something. It's on Shadow People. You had a link up on your website a few weeks ago to that banal, uh, Amer- you know, that uh, that uh, banal of uh, America, that other radio program. He he guest starred on there, and that made me want to go out and get the book, and I can't put it down. No commercials, no subscriptions required, no network, no rules, no comparison, my friends. Welcome to BOA Live. I am, of course, your host, Tim Banal, and we're back again. We've managed to uh, come at you here two weeks in a row. It's some kind of miracle. And we've got an awesome guest on tap for you. I'll save all the in-house notes and business and all that stuff for you towards the end of the program because I want to just dive on into the conversation our guest is longtime friend of the show. He's been on, I think I've uh, lost count at this point, probably about five times now uh, at this rate. Uh, numerous times, I actually wrote the blurb for the back of one of his books. That's how tight we are, and uh, we keep in touch offline all the time, talking about baseball and other foolishness. Of course, I'm talking about our good buddy, Jason Offit. He's the author of Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us, What Lurks Beyond the Paranormal in Your Backyard, and the new book is a travel log. It's titled Across a Corn Swept Land, an Epic Beer Run Through the Upper Midwest. So welcome back to the show, Jason. It's uh, exciting to have you here on the uh on the live mothership. Tim, it's always a always a pleasure to be on the show and, and I'm not the least bit nervous. I'm gonna do something that will totally embarrass you on your live show. Oh boy. Maybe. Well, sounds like you're washing dishes from the start of it at the beginning here. I don't know what you're doing over there, but putting the kids' toys away or something. Oh, no, I was taking a drink of water. <laughs> you're a loud drinker, but I've heard that before, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, should I ask you what you're going to do to embarrass me, or are we going to wait till until you want to pop it on me. I don't confuse. Oh, right. no. It, it, if, I, if, I, if I think of anything to unload on you, I'll just, it's a total surprise. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. It's more fun for me that way. Excellent, excellent. Now, you uh, you, you got a lot going on, as we've teased uh, on the BOA Facebook page leading up to uh, this episode here. you got the new book, Across a Corn-Swept Land, uh, an epic beer run through the mid... Through the, excuse me. An, an epic beer run through the upper Midwest. It's live, Tim. Uh, yeah, I know. That, oh, now you've done it. There you go. You... 
And you uh, you also went over to the UK, and of course you're always chronicling weird paranormal stories. So you, you you've had quite the 2013 so far. It sounds like. I've been I've been extremely busy, and it has been it's been a blast. I've had a, I've had a lot of fun, and I've got uh, I've got other things coming up before uh, before 213 uh, expires. There you go. Sounds good. Sounds good. Now the new book. Across a corn swept land. I'll skew the uh, second part so I don't trip up again. How did this all come about? Uh, you know, I know you've written some humorous stuff, obviously, and you've delved into the paranormal, as, as listeners here know. But how did the idea of the travel log come up, and you know, how did it all come together? Well, and and I write about this in the very first chapter of of my book. My uh, my wife likes to go to garage sales during the summer, and she comes home with a map, a huge map of the world, and a frame uh, that it actually fit in that she bought at a completely different sale. Well, I ended up painting the frame and putting the thing on the wall. And um, as I'm standing there looking at it, uh, US uh, 71 Highway uh, cuts right through the town where I live. And as I was just looking, it also goes straight up into Canada. Canada, And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And I did a little search to see how many hours it would take me to get to Canada. And it's uh, about... 11 and a half hour drive and I thought man I could do that with absolutely no problem and well because it's the same distance uh, in the opposite direction to go to uh, to go to my in-laws and this would be more fun because I'm going north instead of south yeah um, yeah but uh, <laughs> I, I, I I was thinking of my uh, my, my book uh, what lurks beyond the paranormal in your back backyard because the premise of that book was I wanted to find all the paranormal things I could find within a hundred mile radius of my house. And I found a ton of them and I thought, well, I've got this highway here going from going from my house to Canada and I've never been to Canada. I wonder what's just right along the highway. So I did some research and found some pretty cool things and just uh, uh, set a date one summer and, and took off leaving the entire family at home for days at a time. It's interesting. It's a really uh what I like about the book is it's I haven't really read too many travel logs. Actually the the whole uh the the serendipitous sort of way this all came together was I was actually at the bookstore looking for a Bill Bryson travel log because I'm a big Bill Bryson fan and then uh I was like, "Wait a minute. I know someone that uh, that wrote a travel log. Jason Hoffman just put out that book, so I don't get that." And then uh it all came together like that. So you know, it's an interesting sort of process. I like how you, it's sort of unvarnished in a way. You know, things are closed along the way, and, and you, but you still talk about them and kind of, you know, give people an idea of what it's like, even though even though when you got there it was closed. I thought that was uh, sort of an interesting recurring theme in the book. Which was, it was, it was kind of annoying and uh, to begin with, and then it got oh, yeah. to be funny after after a point, because, yeah, all these places that, that I just, I found by by accident, it's like, Oh, really cool. This was a pivotal spot on the Underground Railroad, and they had completely redone the house, and, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a museum, and it's i got to stop in here, and yeah, it was closed. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a, a Cabbage Patch Doll Museum in the middle of absolutely nowhere in Iowa that I stumbled upon, and, and it was closed, and all these – a state park was closed. What, are you kidding me? How <laughs> close is state part of a state park? But uh, yeah, that was that was that was pretty fun after a while. Well, like I said, I, I thought it was interesting and, and I don't know, refreshing in a way. Like I haven't read too many travel logs, but uh, it was cool that you were honest about it. You know what I mean? And weren't just like, oh well, shit, this place is closed, so I guess it's not in the book. You know what I mean? 
Well, and I tried to give because some of the things were pretty cool. So I, I tried to give them, you know, some some you know justifiable treatment and and uh, and interviewed some people and you know gave some history to the place and yeah. tried to give at least a little bit of a, a feel. Yeah. Now, when one of the things that stood out to me in the in the book was this uh, this Dewey the cat, which apparently isn't like an isolated incident. There's these there's these things called library cats that apparently live in libraries, and allegedly there's like 600 of them around the world. Uh, have you even heard of this before? Because I, I, when I read the book, I was at first I I thought it was sort of just like a quirky thing for this one town to have a their own you know mascot library cat, but then apparently this is something that's I wouldn't say popular, but it happens, I guess you could say. Well, yeah, and I was – I'd heard of Dewey before. His name, uh, The name they gave him was Dewey Read More Books, and, of course, Dewey spelled as in Dewey of the Dewey Decimal System. Ah. Um, yeah, really cutesy. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd heard of this before. It was fairly popular, I mean, I guess, in, in the Midwest. It's fairly popular, I, I guess, worldwide to people who are into this sort of thing because when I was there uh, at, at the library um, – I was looking at the, the book, and there were people from New York and California, and, and, and I interviewed one of the librarians, and this couple from Australia came over. That was the main thing they wanted to see in the States, was to come to the, to the Spencer Public Library and see where Dewey the Library Cat was. Okay, so, I, I, yeah, it's kind of, kind of odd. Yeah, I, I, I could think of a lot of other places I'd rather go in the U.S., you know, first. Yeah, yeah. Than, <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Not, not there's anything wrong with Spencer, Iowa, but uh, still, it's it's not quite New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to really go out of your way too. I mean, they, I, you know, you got to get to Iowa and then drive to the library. You got to be. They must be in diehards. I'd like to know more about those people. Well, and that's another another <laughs> one of the things that you know this place Spencer's kind of in 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 the middle of nowhere when it comes you know to a national scope. That's that's one of the things about US seventy one. It's part of the old. U.S. Uh, highway system that gave us Route 66, hmm. and and it used to be well traveled. When the interstates popped in, you know nobody traveled on these U.S. you know U.S. routes anymore. Uh, so there are a lot of little towns. There's nothing really big on U.S. U.S. 71, um, ex- except for you know a couple places in in Missouri and then in down south. But where I went, everything was was relatively small. So everything was out of the way. So all these things to me were you know, little little treasures that nobody really sees unless they do, you know, go out of their way, like, you know, fly 22 hours on a plane and then drive all day. Right, right. I guess uh, since I've read the book, take take people sort of on a virtual journey uh, of, of what the route was here uh, for this for this epic beer run. Uh, it was north. <laughs> We've established that. We established that at the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, it, um, <laughs> like, what what states did you go to? Like, well, how did this all unfold? Because, like I said, I've read the well, book, so people don't understand that, you know, that you you know went on this uh, northward journey through various states and whatnot. All right. Okay. Yeah, I, I was looking for a little bit more specificity because I, I could have gone through every little town I, I no, went no, no, to. No, 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 no. Just get, get right. the thumbnail. Come on. Okay. Yeah. Here, <laughs> I, I'm I'm in Northwest Missouri. Uh, I, I went through went through Iowa, which is a little bit bigger than it looks on the map by driving through it. Uh, and then, then Minnesota, which is a hell of a lot bigger as a, uh, as a drive, especially when you get northern Minnesota because there's nothing there but trees, hmm. which it's gorgeous. It's one of the prettiest states I've ever been to, but there's a whole lot of nothing in between here and there. And so, yeah, I went a uh, little bit of Missouri, all through Iowa, all through uh, Minnesota, and then 
crossed over uh, the Rainy River into Fort Francis, Ontario, which is uh, the hometown of Dudley Do-Right of the uh, Canadian Mounted Police. Was there any reason why Dudley Do-Right was from there and Rocky and Bullwinkle Bullwinkle were from the town, you know, next to it or relatively, uh, you know, as you're writing the book? The um, The creator from uh, around there? You know, I think I think he was, but I this I don't remember. I don't remember. That's embarrassing. Forgive I, me. I stumped you. Yeah, I'm completely bombing on your show tonight, Ted. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, if anything, it's a mutually assured destruction. So we're both <laughs> we're both going to be all right coming out of this. Uh, <laughs> well, the the good part is too when people hear the story, they think that you know when I imagine. That that area of the country, especially uh, Minnesota and Canada, as you kind of allude to in the book, you, you think like that 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 it's going to be you're going to be dealing with blizzards and eight feet of snow. But actually, as as you bemoan throughout the book, uh, it's like in the nine you took, took the trip in the nine in the summer, so it's like ninety degrees the whole time. Yeah, it was uh, up until I got to um, uh, International Falls. It was it was in the the upper up, mid to upper nineties. The entire way up there, so I was sweating buckets the whole time. But your audience really doesn't need to know. <laughs> yeah, it, it it really the only thing different um, was northern Minnesota to me, and all all the all the trees uh, up until. I mean, this is where I got the name of the book. I mean, up until I got to to the, the land of trees, it was just all corn, all corn. The entire state of Iowa was corn, and then I get to Minnesota, and it's more corn and windmills. And then, then I get to the trees, and then, uh, and then Canada is, is you know, like I say in the book, it, it, going across the the river and looking at Canada is like, you know, looking at the map of Candyland. How it's, it's how so? It's well, or maybe I should say more like it's like you know walking into a Disney movie. It's just all everything's green and peaceful and quiet, and Canada's beautiful. All right. Well, you, you only spent a. How long in total were you in Canada? Like, like not that long. Yeah. I was there an afternoon, but you know what? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go back one day. One one day. One day. <laughs> is that a, is that a promise or a threat? It's uh, well, yeah, it's a it's a it's a promise. There's so much there. I was gonna go. Uh, I was gonna drive six more hours to a, a Finnish community called Thunder Bay, Ontario. Yeah, that's but, pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that would put another another twelve hours on my drive, and uh, I was already hearing it from my family that I needed to get my ass home. Oh boy, you're only gone like five days. Can't they can't they give Dad a break? Well, they ended up doing it this summer when I was gone a month. Ah, we'll get to, we'll get to England later, I suppose. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a little bit. I'm in, I'm interested in that because I used to live in the UK for a little while, so. I did not know that about you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was indicted for a few things, and I had to get out of the country. So, <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. I, I'll, we'll, we'll we'll delve into that as we as we go along here. But uh, did you find any sort of like a, appreciable differences between the people of uh, you know Missouri where you live and the people of Iowa and Minnesota and eventually Canada? I know you weren't in Canada that long, but you know, was there aside from the accents, were they were, were they kind of just like everybody else, or were they more nice or anything weird about them? When when it gets and, and people who've never been to the Midwest really really just they don't know how we are. We're just generally nice people. So I mean, all the way through Iowa and, and Minnesota, other than when I got to northern Minnesota, uh, and I couldn't understand some people seriously because of their their accent. No, everybody was was just just it was just really nice. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, a guy I talked to at a, at a liquor store in, in International Falls, I really couldn't understand half the things he said. I just nodded and smiled a lot. Well, there were some little things I thought were really interesting, too, like the – you mentioned at one point the liquor stores in Minnesota have like on-off things, and and you couldn't quite understand what that meant. And then the guy explains that if it says on, you can drink the beer in the in the place like a bar. But yes. If, does that? I mean, that's just weird. I'm, I'm wondering like if there's actual like someone just goes into a liquor store and buys some beer and cracks it open on the way out or something. It's, it sounds crazy. Well, yeah, yeah, you, you can't do that. If it, if it's off, you cannot open beer right. on the premises. If it's if it's on. I guess the liquor license up there, you have to be on or off, and uh, if you're on, you, you need to need to offer food. So it's got to be ah. got to be a bar or something like that to be an on. But they still have to post that everywhere. Weird, interesting, interesting. Yeah, when I think of, I remember when I was in Canada, all the you went to the duty free place, but all the Canadian places, all the liquor stores are like regulated. So it's just like state liquor store uh, for this town or something. It's very, uh, it's very weird, you know. Just it's not really as, it's not really sort of that hominess to you, you get from a liquor store in the states. Yeah, well, in, in the in, in the Midwest, I mean, everything's nice, and I don't know, I don't know what it's like in Boston. Haven't been there yet. Hope to get there at some point, Tim. But uh, yeah, it's uh, everything's nice and homey. Generally, uh, somebody's smoking behind the counter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's allowed out there still. Well, depending, yeah, in your larger towns, you can't smoke. But uh, smaller ones, you can still get you can still get by with it. Nice. Well, I know where I need to move then. <laughs> what uh, did you for the for the paranormal folks? Uh, you know, we got a long ways to go, folks. So bear with us. We're going to get into the paranormal. Don't don't start uh, chewing your hands off here. Um, any any sort of uh, paranormal stuffs in the book that you might want to mention uh, to uh, entice folks? Well, there were a uh, a couple of uh, of paranormal things that I, I came across. Um, one was not that uh, not that far away from me in uh, Villisca, Iowa. It's about an hour drive from me. Uh, I think we might have talked about this on the show at one point, Tim. The Villisca Axe Murder House. Yeah, yeah. Well, the guy snuck in and, and killed the whole family and stuff like that. They never found out. Who yeah. Did. did they ever? Right. Did they ever suspect who did it though? I mean, it's if you would presume that a small place like that, they would kind of you know they'd be like, it's probably Crazy Randy, but we can't find out where Crazy Randy was, so. We're gonna have to let well, it there, well, yeah, the, just uh, okay to, to catch the listeners up. In in, in 1912, yeah. a uh, a family went to uh, Sunday church picnic in in July, and uh, mom and dad and, and three kids. And on the way, uh, you know, when they were leaving, the the kids were like, "Oh, can can our friends come over and stay the night?" And the parents were like, "Sure, that's fine." So there were five kids in the house. Everybody comes home, uh, gets ready for bed, lays down, goes to sleep. Uh, unknowing that there was uh, an axe-wielding maniac smoking cigarettes in the attic. <laughs> and uh, this guy was sure that everybody was asleep. He sneaks out of the attic with uh, with the family's axe. He didn't even have the decency to bring his own. He killed the family with their own axe. And he killed them all with the blunt side of the axe, um, except the, the father he killed with the, with the bladed side. And there are still um, dents in the ceiling in the... Uh, in the um, in the parents' bedroom, where the axe, the back of the axe, had hit the hit the ceiling, one of the children even had. They speculate one of the children saw the guy because uh, her forearm was broken. They figured she was trying to protect herself by putting her arm up. Oh God! Yeah, that I mean, the whole thing was horrible. But the 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 mom of of the two kids who were staying the night, she called the, the next morning 
when the kids didn't come home and uh, and the operator said, well, I'm sorry, nobody's answering the phone there because they all got murdered last night. <laughs> hey, great. That's a great way to find out what happened to my kids. Yeah. But the house is supposedly uh, really, really haunted. It um, it got rented after a while uh, throughout the years. And uh, I mean, one of the families who stayed there, the, the father wouldn't even sleep in the house. He slept in a shed outside the house because he was terrified to sleep in there. Things uh, things move around the house. People hear voices. Children, when they go to the house, uh, act like they're playing with, with another child that nobody else can see. About oh, 10, 15 years ago, uh, a guy named Darwin Lynn, him and his wife, bought it because it was going to you – know, it was up for sale, and, and they were afraid it was going to be torn down. So they, they bought it and turned it into a, uh, a paranormal hotspot. Now it's uh, – people rent it throughout most of the year to, to go out and do investigations. But did they ever have a suspect in place for this thing? Was you asked of... me that, and I totally didn't answer. You were catching yes, people up. Did. It's fine. You were catching the people yeah. up. All right. They had uh, they, they had uh, a couple of suspects. One was a traveling preacher who left town that day. Jeez. And uh, yeah, they, he had uh, they, they they he just disappeared. They found him a couple of states uh, a couple of states away. He claims he had nothing to do with it. But most people suspect the uh, the father's business rival who was a state senator. I can't think of his name at the time or at, at this time, but um, the, the father and, and the state senator had been rivals. They were trying to both get the John Deere dealership in town and uh, the senator didn't get it and the dad did. So people were speculating that uh, that this senator was upset enough to have uh, have his rival killed. Oh God. But nobody was, yeah, nobody was ever, nobody was ever caught. Nobody was ever, ever convicted. The, um, the the killer who whoever he was when when they when the, when the police came to the house they uh, they knew it wasn't robbery because the dad had emptied his pockets on the kitchen table so there was money sitting there and you know, completely untouched yeah and there was also bacon sitting on the kitchen table uncooked bacon what the the cops speculated was this guy rubbed it on his feet or and, and his pants so uh, when he escaped the dogs wouldn't be able to to pick up his scent oh boy that's crafty. Yeah, pretty crafty. Although I'd think if I was a dog, I might be more attracted to the bacon. I don't know. That yeah, yeah. Now that you say that, yeah, maybe maybe that was foolhardy. Who knows? But he, but he got away. So he got away. The the, the bacon the bacon uh, tactic <laughs> has points in its favor, I guess. I had uh, uh, taught a class, and I know I've, I've talked about this on, on your show before, but I taught a class back in 2009 at, at the university where I work called Paranormal Journalism. Yeah, yeah. And I I took my class to, on a field trip one night to the Axe Murder House. And uh, a couple of strange things happened while we were there. Uh, one, the, the kids brought uh, a Ouija board, which I told them, there's no way in hell you can, you're going to bring a Ouija board. So, of course, they did. And the planchette started moving, and they got panicky, so they stopped playing with it. <laughs> but the other thing that, that happened that really I still think about because I don't know what happened, uh, a Frank's box. Are you familiar with those? I'm vaguely familiar with it, yeah. It's like a little little uh, machine thing that can allegedly or whatever pick up the uh, the voice of the ghosts or something like that. Yeah, it, it scans uh, the FM, FM dial and picks up static. Right, 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 yeah. Okay, so yeah, the the basic thought is it's like uh, um, EVPs, except for they happen real time as opposed to they they get recorded and you hear them later. Mm-hmm. Well, before we went, I told told my students don't be like Zach from Ghost Adventures. Do not yell at the ghosts. <laughs> okay? 
So everybody was pretty cool with that, except for this one kid named Stratton. What was his name? Stratton? Stratton. That was his first name, Stratton. Oh, God. And, and so he was, he, he the first time we got there, or the first minute we got there, he was just challenging. You guys are cowards. Come out. Face me. Face me. Show me who you are. Oh, Stratton. And, what are you doing, buddy? I, I know. That's what I was talking, I'm talking to him about. But anyway, he, uh, <laughs> he was doing that around the house. And finally, he calmed down and laid in the murder bed. Just waiting to see anything would happen. Oh my God! Gee, this and, is a college student. Oh my God! And uh, somebody broke out. They brought a Frank's box, and we were standing in the pantry that was a lot colder than the rest of the house. But but the student holding it started asking questions like, "Or is anybody in here with us?" And and the box was hissing, you know, with static. And then a male voice said, "Yes." And uh, I'm like, "Okay, this is scanning the FM dial." It could pick up yes out of the ether, no problem. I'm I'm not believing this thing. Right, right. So he started asking more questions, and he started, you know, kept getting yes and no answers. So I was getting kind of curious about the whole deal, and, and the guy says, "Do you want us to leave?" Yes. Is, is somebody upsetting you? Hiss. Yes. Who's upsetting you? And the thing hissed and said, "Stratton." Oh my God, dude! What did Stratton do? He thought it was well. I, when we told him later, because he was upstairs, like I said, laying in the murder bed, he he thought it was the coolest thing he'd ever heard. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. But yeah, I mean, if if, if at that point the the Frank's box would have said Dave or Tim or you know Allie or something like that, I probably wouldn't have thought thought too much about it. But it said Stratton, which is a strange name. Yeah, and he was the only person in the house that was was trying to piss off the ghosts. Oh my god, dude, that's creepy. That's that's really creepy. Jesus, if I was Stratton, I'd be totally creeped out. I don't know. Jesus. Although I guess if I was like nineteen or twenty, I'd probably still be full, full of piss and vinegar, and I'd be like, yeah, 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 probably. Now we're just full of piss. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly, exactly. Jesus. Oh God, that's left me kind of horrified here. Uh, anyway, that's the axe murder house. It's it's it was a fun night. Like, just hearing that story, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, I, I, I kind of hate, like, putting things on skeptics where you're like, listen to this story. What do you think of this? But at the same time, it's, that, that's kind of one of those textbook stories where it's like, there's really no good explanation for that other than something supernatural. Uh, like you said, what are the odds Stanton's going to come through on the thing out of nowhere like that? Yeah, right, exactly. Oh, yeah, Bob maybe, but yeah, Stratton, no, it's not going to happen. Jesus. Oh, God. Um now, what, what the hell's going on with all these giant statues uh, that that you keep coming across in the book? Is this like a, a, a you know an American phenomenon in general, or is it just a Midwest thing? Because uh, I haven't traveled across the country in a long time, so I, I wouldn't know. But it's, it, I'm wondering if like every place has its own weird giant statue, or it's more more of a thing for that area. Well, I don't know, because I, I grew up in the Midwest, and I am completely unfamiliar with giant statues. Okay, so it's really just sort of kind of an isolated thing maybe yeah maybe it's yeah to like iowa and and uh and minnesota yeah i don't know they were they were they were cool at first and they started kind of kind of freaking me out the, the first one was albert the bull in uh, audubon iowa which is a huge hereford bull uh anatomically correct so you got to watch your head when you're walking underneath or you'll bump you'll you'll bump his testicles yeah yeah, it's it's sitting there. It's it's they they were they had uh, a lot of cattle production 
back in the day, back in the 50s, and, and it was, I guess, uh, on a national scale. And they raised enough money to build this this enormous statue of a bull. Uh, I guess it's famous enough it was a, a Jeopardy question at one point. Huh. And uh, did, uh, I never saw any of these uh, Beethoven movies with Charles Grodin <laughs> and Great Dane. Yeah, Not a yeah. Great Dane, but uh, St. Bernard. Yeah, they, Albert the Bull, I, I, for some reason, was in uh, Beethoven's third. <laughs> huh. I guess it's a great claim to fame. Yeah, yeah. Our town was in the third Beethoven movie. <laughs> the the direct-to-DVD one. You may not have seen yeah. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was, there was things like that to uh, uh, St. Uru. In in a small town in Minnesota, it's it's a make believe uh, saint from from uh, Finland. Yeah, that was, was the a, weirdest part that it was like this this made up thing that became that picked up its own like phenomenology, if you will. Right, right, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's got. I think some I don't remember it's whatever the a university or college in, in Bemidji, Minnesota, uh, years and years ago, a a professor there just made it up, and it yeah it. It not only got its own uh, Saint Uru, it not only got it, it, you know, its own statue in this small town, but uh, they even celebrate, they, they have big celebrations around Minnesota, and there's even a celebration over back in Finland, which, I mean, completely took a life of its own. That's just weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to stop. I never heard of this. I was driving through this small town um, of Managa, which don't remember right now the name of the artist, but one of the very first artist uh, cartoonist from Mad Magazine was born and raised in that town. But um, anyway, I stopped because there's this giant bearded man with a pitchfork, and he's got a, uh, a grasshopper the size of a Great Dane impaled on this pitchfork. Yeah. So I've got to gotta find out what the hell this is. <laughs> yeah. All right, and I stopped in the museum, which was right behind it, and talked to some very nice people. And I, I discovered that there's a huge Scandinavian population up there, and it's so uh, traditional that uh, the, the man, one of the one of the guys who was was caretakering the, the the museum at the time, didn't speak English. He spoke Finnish until he was in in elementary school. Jesus. Which now, I mean, at, at you know, in this modern age, really, there's pockets of people. Who speak different languages and I it's Finnish especially that really blew my mind. Yeah, that's a pretty obscure kind of language, you know. It's not even French, and that's kind of obscure now. Right, right, yeah. I, well, and uh, that was that statue was was pretty fun, I, and and there was like uh, Paul Bunyan and, and Babe the Big Blue Ox and in in Bemidji, which you know I guess I can understand that. There's a huge Smokey the Bear in, in Bemidji, which. With all the forest, I can understand that. The one that freaked me out, I rounded a corner, and there was this uh, an 18-foot-tall crow. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading about this, yeah. <laughs> Black crow, it looked like something out of, out of a Stephen King novel. I, I, I had to stop and look at it. There was a, a, a town called Crow that was not that far away, so I guess that's where it was from, but I didn't stick around too long. It, uh, it was going to eat my soul. <laughs> well, you wonder, you know, like... If that's like some sort of a relic of the past, if you will, these giant statues, right? Because I don't really, again, I mean, I guess well, I wouldn't know if someone built one in the middle of nowhere, you know, New Mexico or something. Uh, if all of a sudden they erected some giant statue, I wouldn't know, I guess. But it seems like all these statues are really old school, like turn of the last century or or you know, fifty sixty style or something like that. So you wonder, like, I think a, a lot of them were fifty sixty style. The the Saint Uru was the uh, the 
statues in Bemidji were built built about then. I'm used to statues of you know generals standing in front of courthouses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> historic yeah, figures and that kind of thing. Not not exactly animals. It, and if the, the historic figure was you know you know five foot ten, the statue was five foot ten. <laughs> yeah. You know, not twenty seven feet tall. There's a, a like a fifty foot jolly green giant statue in a town called Blue Earth, Minnesota that was too far off my off my beat off the beaten path for me to go to. But really the Jolly Green Giant. Why? Is that even does it, do they make it there or something? There was a production plant there, but I don't uh, think it was the home of, of of any of that. I wonder if it's like they just don't you know, oh yeah, someone mentions the one in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, that's that's the that's those dinosaurs. So I don't know. Maybe you know. I guess nowadays they probably would wouldn't let you make a giant statue. They'd be like, we have better things to do than build a giant, you know, grasshopper thing. So get the hell out of here. So I don't know. It's not the same world we live in anymore, buddy. I know. When you're seeing the well, a twenty foot tall uh, ear of corn sticking right up in the sky. I don't know. That really does something to a town skyline. <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting sort of idea of civic pride, I guess. You know, they're like, yeah, let's build this, let's build this thing that uh, at night's going to look like a big phallic device, <laughs> sticking right up in the middle of uh, Olivia, Olivia, Minnesota. That's great. Oh boy, I don't mean to, I don't mean to badger that there's a great town. It was a really nice little picturesque town, but uh, that year of corn was kind of, kind of bizarre. Surprised the 18 foot tall crow hadn't flown up and decimated it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah, you, you raise that, that point in the book. You'd have quite the uh, ultimate fight if all these different uh, creatures and things came to life. Uh, now, you, you, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm afraid to ask. Cause I, I feel like it's kind of like the culmination of the book. But uh, I'm, I, as a beer lover myself, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of. Uh, interested in the your experience with the Canadian beer. So you you can be as uh, obtuse as you want about this. What, what what were your thoughts? I found it interesting though before before I set you up a little bit is that you know, you got there and it seemed like you couldn't really find too many obscure Canadian beers. Do you think it was cuz it was right across the border or if you went deeper you might have done better or what? I think that was it. If I would have gone a little bit deeper, I I probably would have done better, but uh, since it was right across the border, uh, they they had all the beers stocked for Americans who came over. That's that's yeah. the, the picture I got, because I wanted something that I couldn't get here. And and, and going into the to the duty free shop, they had uh, Molson, Golden, uh, Labatt's, Moosehead, and all the hard liquors were Seagram Seven, Canadian Mist. It was what the hell? I can get that walking five minutes down the street to the liquor store. Yeah. All right, back back home, but there was one beer. That I'd never seen before, and it was Alexander Keith's uh, India Pale Ale, and uh, India Pale Ale is was one of my favorite types of beer. So I was pretty excited by this. I was reading the legend on the box, and this was the oldest India Pale Ale that uh, that was made in Canada. Yeah. All right. All that was setting up to be really, really cool. Let me pause here to preface this. All right, because I know Canadians are, are fond of fond of their beer. They're proud of their beer. Uh, one of my best friends is from Hamilton, Ontario, and uh, and Dave told me once that all the beer, Canadian beer, we we buy here in the United States is all the crap that the Canadians won't drink. Yeah, that's what my Australian friend Rockle tells me as well about Australian beer. So 
Yeah, don't drink the Fosters when, you, when you're down down in Australia. They'll they'll laugh at you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was I was looking at, and, and I, I thought back to a, a movie called Canadian Bacon. Oh yeah, John, uh, John Candy. Yeah, John Candy was in it. Alan Alda was in it. Rhea Perlman. Well, they were the United States was trying to get Canada to start a war with them, and to do this, they sent John Candy and Rhea Perlman uh, up to a Maple Leafs game. Uh, they're sitting there shouting all sorts of insults, but the Canadians are too nice to do anything about it. They're just completely ignoring John Candy. And then he's like, you know, screw it. Uh, he ordered a beer, took a drink of the beer, and he's like, oh, God, this beer tastes awful. And then the entire building erupted in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Don't insult the beer. Well, so anyway, I, I, I get this beer home, and it's awful. <laughs> it was some of the worst swill I have ever had before. Uh, I'm hoping that's not indicative to Canadian beer. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's strange. I enjoyed the beer when I was there, but I couldn't tell you uh, much about it. So I can't remember if I ever had anything that was obscure uh, at the time. So, yeah. Well, it's too bad. You're going to get a lot of hate mail from Canadians now. Well, I, I hope not. Uh, when I saw the country, it was beautiful. The people were nice. And... <laughs> the, the 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 protein did not kill me. It was it was delicious. You like that, huh? I, I I've had it too. It's pretty good stuff. I'm surprised they don't. I'm surprised considering how how very American it is in a sense, uh, how gluttonous it is that it hasn't made it to America yet. Uh, you know, you you think that would be like at every McDonald's in the country here? Well, yeah, I had, absolutely. And and for listeners who don't know what it is, it's it's French fries uh, covered in cheese curds, which are the fattiest part, fattiest cheese you can get. And then uh, that all that mess is covered in beef gravy. Mm. And it was uh, the first bite. I was scared to death to try this. But it was delicious, so I ate more, and I couldn't stop eating. And by the time I got halfway finished with my order, I, I was so sick, I couldn't, I couldn't eat anymore. Oh, man. I had, I, had a, I had a stomach ache for two days. It, was, it, was, it, it came back. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was rough, rough on the system. <laughs> Oh God! Well, uh, that's 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 a good way to sort of end the discussion here. <laughs> well, here. I was gonna. We came home when I came home. There yeah. was a, a party in the neighborhood. And, you know, I was like, bring bring a covered dish. And I told my wife, I said, I'm bringing this. She's like, nobody's gonna eat that. We're gonna kill our neighbors. No, okay, I didn't take it. How would you have made it? You can get the sauce and shit up there. You know, you can get all the all the fixings for it to make it your own at your own leisure. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a hell of a cook. I I, oh, okay. I, I would have no problem slapping together a uh, 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 play of some uh, a bowl of poutine. There you go. All right. Well, uh, I want to hear about this UK adventure. So let me plug the uh, the book here one more time so folks can check it out. And I I didn't put it over enough at the beginning because I was too busy sort of uh, launching the liveness of all this. But uh, I really did love it, and I thought it was fantastic. And as someone who's talked to Jason so many times and, and uh, you know, we've had so many laughs, you can you can hear Jason's voice in the book, which is really cool. Not literally, so don't buy it expecting, like, you know, one of those awful Hallmark cards that sing. But uh, but you can really you can hear his voice in the book, so check it out. Folks. And if you actually do hear my voice in the book, you may want to go to your doctor. <laughs> yes, yes. Seek help immediately, as they say on the Viagra ads. Uh, across a corn-swept land, an epic beer run through the upper Midwest. It's awesome. I really enjoyed it. It's good. Uh, it's a good read for for this kind of time of year. You know, you sit out on the porch with a little glass of lemonade and uh, you know relive Jason's adventures. 
Are you planning on doing more of these travel logs? Uh, yeah, I'm actually uh, uh, about a third finished with one on my trip to London. Oh, nice. That's what I figured. I, I kind of assumed that that, that would give birth to uh, to another travel book. So it sounds good. I'm interested in in, uh, in this sort of a new phase uh, of your stuff. It, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Made me want to kind of get out there and do stuff. And like, you made a good point, though. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've plugged the book, but just to circle back around, you made a great point in the book, too, where it's like, Nobody really appreciates the stuff they have around them, uh, you know, no matter where you live. So, like, at the end of the book, you devote a few pages to your own town and sort of all the weird and quirkiness of, of your own town. So folks should go out and, you know, check out what's in their town because there's probably something weird going on there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there were a few things here that I talked to people about, and they're like, what, really? Seriously? Here? Yeah. That happened here, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I wrote about this. I equated this to, to something that happened to me uh, when I was about 12 or 13. My um, uncle uh, was a lawyer in, in uh, Washington, D.C. His family lived in Arlington, Virginia, and I went to visit one summer, and uh, my uncle wanted to show me all these cool spots, and every place we went, my cousin, who was my age, kept saying, wow, I've never been here before. <laughs> okay, really, you haven't been to Arlington National Cemetery, you haven't been to, uh, you know, the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum or the Jefferson Memorial, you've lived here your entire life and, and you've never been there. So yeah, go go out and look. There's also in obscure, uh, out, of, out of the way things, not, not just big stuff, there's really weird things out there too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I went through that kind of experience because uh, it was a good segue to the London discussion. Um, you know, when I went... When I lived in London, it was like I just spent the whole time there just doing normal uh, sort of living in London things. Then, like, in the last couple of weeks, I was like, shit, I'm leaving in a couple of weeks. I better go see some of this stuff that, you know, everybody comes here to see. So I did, the you know, the Tower Bridge and, and all that all that great stuff over in London. And the funny part was, since I'd been living there for, like, five months, when I'm riding the tube and getting off and going to places and everything, half the time I'm like, ugh, these fucking tourists are everywhere and they're obnoxious and I hate them. And it's like, dude, you're not even, you're not quite a tourist, but you're not quite a Londoner, so just shut up. You don't know what you are. Like, that's enough out of you. So it's kind of an interesting <laughs> experience. How did you end up over in the UK? Tell me about this, because I, I don't know anything about this and I've been wanting to talk to you about it for a while. Jason, are you there? All right, we've lost Jason. Is anybody uh is anybody hearing me? Let's try that. People in the chat room, are you hearing me? <laughs> it says man down. All right. Uh well, let me see. Hopefully Jason will call back in. There he is. Let's see. Are you there this is time, this my friend? All? <laughs> I, I'm here right now. Can you hear me? I can hear you. It's a little, uh, it's a little muffled because of the cell action, but it's good to have a co-pilot for a change. What's going on? What the hell happened there? I, I have no idea. Just, uh, just stopped. It just, just dropped off. I'm telling you, this Google Voice. I don't know. I, I used it when I was over in London and, and talked forever on that thing. And it never, uh, never cut out on me. All right. Well, we're all good. Don't worry I'm, about it. All right. So, how the hell did you end up in the UK? 
Uh, I, uh, for the last couple of years, uh, there's a, a program called the Missouri London Program uh, where they send teachers and students from Missouri over to London to study. And, and the instructors need to present a, um, a class that uh, would be worthwhile for, to send a bunch of uh, students over to London. And I proposed a travel travel writing class. And uh, it got picked up, and and uh, I went uh, went over there with a uh, group of students from around the state, and uh, it was flipping amazing. That's pretty. If you were there for a month, yeah, that's amazing, dude. And yeah, I think this is all uh, funded by, you know, some wing of the government or something. Uh, tuition was part of, was part of it. Student tuition, so let's let's not completely dog on the government for sending me on a trip. No, 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 I, no, no, no. <laughs> I meant, you know, I meant like this. This didn't cost you anything out of pocket to go live in London for a month. No, the only thing it cost me was uh, airfare to Chicago and uh, all uh, all the beer that I drank over there. Well, and some food. Nice, nice. And you lived in London proper. Yes, uh, I lived in uh, the Old Court area of London. Um, I uh, had my own flat that was uh, a block away from a Tesco and two blocks away from a pub, and it was. I just so I just I, I lived there. I not only not only taught and uh, took the students out to do all the touristy things, but you know I did things that you know normal Londoners would do, which is go to the grocery store, go to the post office, uh, take the tube everywhere. So it was right. it was a great experience just living there for a while. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh... You know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. I, I enjoyed my time there as well. Um, so, yeah, what were you, you doing as you were, as you were hiding from the government with whatever you did? No, uh, no, What no. were you doing in, in England? I was doing a study abroad program. All right, nice. Yeah, so I lived uh, as I as I was as I I had to try and fill some time there while you disappeared on us. So I I did a hastily told story about how I I actually lived on Edgware Road. I don't know if that rings any bells with you, but uh, oh, no, the... no, that's where my students that's where my students lived. Oh, nice, yeah. yeah. So I lived on Edgware Road, and I lived there in the year 2000. And then they had the uh, the the bombing happened at the at the very tube station, which I took like every day. Uh, like a few, I don't know, uh, a few years later, three or four, uh, three or four years later. So, it, well, it's seven years later. Was there seven, seven, seven? That's yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, seven years later. Yep. So, yeah, so it's kind of an eerie uh, experience to hear that whole thing go down. But it was funny. Well, well, I lived there. With, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying. And the tube station that I used all the time was home to the only TARDIS that is left in uh, in the UK. Really? Yeah. Is it prominently on display? Yeah, it's right right out in front of the uh, Earl's Court tube station. And uh, lots of tourists get their picture taken in front of it. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> what about the Paddington station? Everyone must like that one a lot. Well, yeah, that one and, uh, of course, King's Cross for the whole Harry Potter thing. Oh, yeah. See, I'm not into Harry Potter, so... I'm unfamiliar with all all that. Did you uh, now? You you I believe you did some kind of Highgate vampire uh, visit while you were there, right? Right, Highgate Cemetery. Uh, I, I went to that. I went to went to Highgate two different times because I didn't do enough research to get it all done in, in one fell swoop. Uh, but there's uh, back in the '60s, there was the report 
there was a report of of ghosts at that cemetery, and uh, and one uh, man in his in his twenties went went there flew there one night and uh, and saw what he was convinced was was a vampire, and wrote a letter to the local paper and other people started writing to the paper saying yeah we saw this thing too, there were um, there was a big fervor about it throughout London at the time there were. Uh, organized ghost hunts with uh, with the police holding back crowds and things of that nature. It's uh, most most of the people I talked to in the area said it was complete BS, but it's it's a pretty popular story. And and Highgate Cemetery, um, I guess probably most cemeteries in in England are like this. There's tombstones stacked next right next to tombstones. Uh, the 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 stone stone lids are broken and you can see inside and it binds every place. It's an amazingly creepy place to go. I loved every second of it. If you can see, in, what do you see inside? The skeletons or shit? No, it's filled with dirt. Oh, okay. These things are hundreds and hundreds of years old. I, yeah, that's didn't true. See yeah. Any, yeah, I didn't see any skeletons. But it was I, I was there uh, for the Highgateness of it, uh, the, the Highgate vampireness of it, but. Uh, another thing I was there for is one of my all-time favorite authors is buried in Highgate Cemetery, Douglas Adams. Okay, uh, yeah. The guy who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is buried there. So I went and saw his grave, and uh, for anybody who knows uh, Douglas Adams' uh, bit about Byros, I, I left a pin on his grave. And Karl Marx's grave is there as well. Huh. Interesting. Which is really scary because it's this huge monument with this massive massive head of Karl Marx looking like a really pissed off Santa Claus. <laughs> so no matter where you go, you can't avoid the giant statues. No, they're there. They follow me. They follow me around. Uh, one of the other things I did in the area, and, and I did this the last week I was there because, like I said, I didn't I didn't do my research, but just up the hill from, from the cemetery is a place called the Angel Inn. And mm-hmm. Graham Chapman and the rest of the Monty Python guys, I guess Graham lived around there, they would hang out there during the years of their show, and they would you know, talk about sketches as they sat around and got completely pissed. So oh, wow. I went just to go and sit in the same spots that the Monty Python guys did while they were uh, you know, doing their show. And, of course, I had a few pints, but uh, can't can't escape that. There you go, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that would be something worth doing. The one one of the things I I was saying uh you know in this downtime here while while we lost you that uh I wish I could do it all over again because I didn't even have an interest in the paranormal back then so there's a lot of things I would like to have checked out um you know that I didn't get the chance to I did go see Stonehenge did you get a chance to make the trip up to Stonehenge at all Yeah let me ask first on on on, on this on blog talk what kind of what kind of language can I use You can use any kind of language you want just like the uh, Okay. Just like the description for the show says, no rules, baby. All right, awesome, awesome. God, it's nothing, nothing, nothing too bad. But anyway, Stonehenge is something I've been fascinated with ever since I was about seven or eight years old and first found out about it. And I've always wanted to go there. And yeah. we took a tour bus, and we're we're there, and you know we top a top a rise. It, it was really funny on the drive up to Stonehenge. It looked like driving through uh, Northwest Missouri. <laughs> same type of terrain, same type of of uh, of trees, the only difference was uh, the, the hedgerows instead of fences, and a lot of the fields instead of corn they planted rapeseed, which here we call canola because we got better PR here. 
Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, we topped this hill, and I saw something that I've wanted to see for decades. The first words that slipped out of my mouth were, holy shit. I yeah. thought it would be something a little bit more profound, but no, it was holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, walking around Stonehenge was, was just absolutely amazing. We had, there was A witch was there uh, oh, in, in full witch. garb. Uh, uh, yeah, a witch was there. She had a uh, staff with a with a uh, bronze goat head on the, on the tip of it, and she was talking to small children and, I don't know, maybe wanted to drink her blood or something. I didn't know. What, what do you mean? In, what do you mean in full garb? I guess like a robe or something. I presume she wasn't uh, sporting the pointy hat, right? No, she didn't have the pointy hat, but she had billowing black robes and uh, oh, some purple sash, and and uh, yeah, she was uh, she was talking to little small children. That if I had my kids there, I wouldn't have you know let her, let them talk to her. But that's all right. All right. Well, one of the things uh, yeah. I thought was really weird. Weird about Stonehenge is is the food court. It's like really, you've got this wonder of the ancient world here, five thousand years old, and you put a freaking food court next to it. See, they that's what I understand. When I went up there, it was like the opposite. It was it was like run down. There was like one tiny little visitor center that was like, you know, just a tiny little shack, if you will, with nothing. You know, no. I don't even think you get anything to eat. That's how crazy it was. And to me, it was like, Jesus, what are they doing here? This this place, you know, spruce it up a little bit. At least, you know, give me a place to get something to eat. So it sounds like they went the, way overboard and overdeveloped it a little bit. Well, they, uh, they're they still in the, the overdevelopment stage because with this little uh, food and uh, uh, souvenir shop uh, area, uh, down down the hill there, they're building a big visitor center, and they're going to uh, bus people from the visitor center up to the to the food area. Mm. No, it's kind of yeah. nuts. Yeah, but it, I mean, it was pretty impressive, and and uh, it was like, wow, the aliens. You know, watching this, you know, the way the stones are, the aliens are really shitty at Jenga. That's <laughs> what I really thought about that. Did you now? I, I'm just, from what I can remember, at the time, you could kind of like, you could you could get close, but you couldn't like go and touch them or anything. But you could if you were an asshole. You know what I mean? It was kind of like. There wasn't anything really to stop you from running up and touching it, except for the fact that maybe you'd get banned for life or something crazy, or thrown out. You know what I mean? But it, it wasn't was, like it was, too roped off. Right. It was. Just, it was the same deal. I mean, you could you could step over the step over the little barrier and uh, and run up there if you wanted to. And yeah, like you said, you'd get banned for life. Um, yeah. So I didn't try that. Because so I, I heard there's like uh, one stone or something that that like is is oddly has an odd temperature to it or something. Like it's extremely cold or extremely hot or something like that, but I don't know I, I don't know if, uh, any more about it than that. Now, I didn't read anything about that. The, the things I, I read, that just, I mean, it, it blows me away about all these uh, ancient monuments. It's the, these stones, how many, however many ton, tons they are, placed on top of each other, were brought from 150 miles away. That's where the quarry was. And yeah. How the hell did people do this 5,000 years ago? I mean, it's completely mind blowing to me. <laughs> One of the, the funny yeah. things with Stonehenge, a couple of nights before uh, before I was going, I was down at the local local pub and uh, the Warwick Arms, talking with a couple of locals that I talked with when I went in there. <laughs> One guy said, "Where are you going? Where are you going? Uh, where are you going now?" And I said, "Well, I'm going out to Stonehenge." And he looked at me like I was nuts, and he goes, "You do know it's just a bunch of rocks, right? In a circle." <laughs> 
yeah, I do. <laughs> I guess. Which yeah, I'm thinking that might your... be the title of the book. <laughs> Just a bunch of rocks in a circle. Uh, a bunch of rocks in a circle. <laughs> well, the the it was so underdeveloped when I went there that this is a true story. I don't think I've ever told this story before, but uh, I can't be the first person ever. But I, I I'm part of a very small, I'm sure, select group of people that has actually mooned Stonehenge. I, I mooned Stonehenge when I was there. Wow, Tim, that's that's something to brag about. Thank you, and I, it, well, to make it even better. Lurking somewhere on my hard drive. I actually have a picture of me mooning Stonehenge, so <laughs> I may have to dig that uh, up. It's what's that? That is no, that that's because I I tried to do something similar uh, when I was you know doing my journey up US seventy one and, and across the Cornswest land. I, I went to the to the, the source of the Mississippi River, and I, I bought a really big soda and drank it on the way there just because I wanted to piss. In the source of the Mississippi River, because my urine was going to travel all the way downstream. You know, like exactly. 70 people standing around, and I, I didn't do it. But you moved well, that Stonehenge. Was, That's impressive. Thank you, thank you. Well, it was all done very furtively. You can tell from the picture, because you can just... You, it's not It's not like a full-on moon. It's not like your classic moon. It's more just like... It's more. I almost more of an. I almost indecently exposed my ass to the to the monument. You know, just kind of quickly slipped my ass out so someone could take a picture. But it's all there. It's all there on film. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> did you the did Tim you get Benal into any of this, Jack? What's that? I said the Tim Benal legacy. I'm yes. Stonehenge. Now you know why I haven't told the story in the last eight years. But it's a it's a true story. <laughs> I was young, impetuous, and I, I was an idiot. But at the time, it sounded like a great idea. Thankfully, I didn't get caught or banned. So maybe yeah. if the picture ever sees the light of day, they'll be like, "You don't, don't, don't ever come back to Stonehenge, sir." We've seen the picture. Well, that's, that's 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 you know more impressive than what one of my students did. He very loudly, as we were walking around looking at it, when he was in a big group of people, he he said, "Stonehenge rocks." Okay, that no. was great. <laughs> That wasn't Stanton, was it? No, no, he didn't. He didn't accompany us on the on the trip. No. Oh. <laughs> I'm imagining Stanton now as like your your travel mascot. <laughs> I should take him around everywhere. Yeah, who knows? He's he's touched like, by by the other side. You're listening to the Nall of America Audio. Did you check out any of the Jack the Ripperness of uh, of London at all? I know uh, we kind of had been there for a while. Maybe you got a chance to do any of those tours or anything. Yeah, no, I I stayed away from the Jack the Ripper tour. I mean, it's I it, I went to the things that really interested me, and that's for some reason a guy killing hookers in the uh, you know 18th century or 19th century, whenever that happened, doesn't interest me that much. Yeah, we got that at truck stops in America today. It's no big deal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, what kind of stuff did you check out while you were there? You know, we we talked about the uh, the the vampire, the Highgate vampire, but what uh, what other stuff did you check out? Because I mean, you you kind of made the point that you know you got you got to dig into this stuff while you're there. Right. Yeah. Well, of course, I had to do all the tour stuff. You know, Buckingham Palace. Uh, uh, walked to the top of the monument. Went to uh, you know heard Big Ben chime. Much uh, is not Big Ben. Uh, the clock tower. Well, I guess it was Big Ben's the, the bell. So yeah, it was Big Ben chime uh, uh, noon. Um, yeah, you know, so did did all you went know, to uh, Scotland Yard? That was that was pretty cool. Uh, some nice. of the things that 
I, I, I did that, you know, I, I had to do was go see, go to the British Museum and see the, see the Rosetta Stone. Okay, hmm. that's, I mean, to see things like that, to, to, to reach up and touch, which I wasn't supposed to do, touch a, an Easter Island Moai statue was amazing. And, and to, yeah. to touch, uh, a, you know, a 3,000-year-old Egyptian carving was, was terrific. Uh, going to the Museum of Natural History and seeing a stuffed dodo that's 350 years old. So those those things were cool. Uh, going to, uh, there was a rock and roll museum and then seeing the first guitar that Pete Townsend ever broke on stage was pretty awesome. Wow, nice. Yeah, so I I, I did, you know, walked across uh, Zebra Crossing at Abbey Road. You know, a lot of those sort of things. One of the things that, that, that I did just for me and nobody else wanted to go, have you ever seen the movie Shaun of the Dead? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I went to the Winchester. Oh, nice. The pub, and it's uh, it's not a pub anymore. It's a it's a block of flats. But I, I wanted to go and get my picture taken in front of it, and it was completely out of the flipping way. London is one of the cleanest big cities I've, I've ever been to. And considering it's like 7.2 million people, it was pretty amazing. It's a pretty fantastic it place. Yeah, I, I can't talk London up, you know, more. It's it's, it's terrific. But I, I get to the outlying areas. And, and I, I see that this is why Edgar Wright, you know, filmed on location out here is because, you know, the, the property must have been pretty cheap. There was graffiti everywhere. There was litter places. There were tattoo parlors. Uh, oh, you know, moms yelling at their kids, uh, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. Guys sitting in a, in a church garden, you know, thug-looking guys drinking beer out of brown paper sacks at 10 in the morning. Like, this is a rough-looking place. I went to it, though. And I survived. Uh, yeah, I, I I tried to hit uh, pop culture places that uh, that were you know fond of me. Yeah, well, that was another that, that was another regret that I had when I got back and everything. I I want now in retrospect, I wish I'd gone to Lee Ho Fuchs from uh, Werewolves of London, but apparently oh, it closed. Yeah. Since I was there, so uh, I could have seen it, but now it's closed. It's gone. So. It's sad. I know it is sad. Well, Tim, but if need, I we need to do that. All right, you and me, we're going to trek over there. And reopen Leho Fuchs? No, no, no. I want to get you kicked out of Stonehenge for one thing. <laughs> Just present and then them we're going to the go picture? to Winchester, and even though it's a bunch of uh, of apartments, we're going to we're going to have a pint there because we're going to knock on every door until somebody opens up and gives us one. So there's not even like a facade left or anything. So you just kind of found the address, and it was a it was a bunch of apartments. Well, no, it's it's a building with yeah the apartments in it. It's just it, it looks the same on the outside. Okay, all right. As it does in the movie, it's just uh, yeah, it's not a not a pub anymore. Yeah, that's disappointing. Well, did you? Uh, oh, I lost my train of thought here on what I was going to ask you, but uh, someone wants to know what the scariest moment of your trip was. Was there a scary moment? Uh, yeah, when I was about ready to uh, board the plane from uh, Kansas City International Airport to O'Hare, there was a uh, young guy uh, holding rosary beads laying in the fetal position at my gate crying. Oh, my God. What the shit is this guy doing? Does he know something I don't know? And if I, he does, I don't want to know it. <laughs> what the fuck is that? What was he doing? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I didn't talk to the guy. I just uh, was happy that he didn't get on my plane. 
oh my god was what it was like was security like looking at him or was anyone doing anything about it or were they just oh, like oh everybody yeah was, no they were completely ignoring the guy uh, I, I think scary the only thing scary uh was when i went out to the winchester because i actually saw a rough neighborhood and yeah. <laughs> here's some american wandering around where you know, not not only did I see the the, the guys who look like thugs drinking beer at ten in the morning in a you know churchyard, you know when I turned the corner and, and walked toward the, the Winchester, there were a bunch of teenagers in uh, in, in New York Yankees caps sitting at, at a playground. Oh like, God! Hey, is this the neighborhood I really want to be in? Yeah, probably probably not. But uh, yeah, nobody nobody messed with me. And you went by yourself on this trip? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, you're a but brave that's, man. That's, that's, that's the only time in London I felt uncomfortable. You know, walking the streets at any, any time of day. I didn't. I, I was out at night, but not you know, two in the morning night. Uh, it's. I felt safe every place. Every place else I went. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> except, except I left out somebody at the Highgate Cemetery. You know, we're we're there. We're looking for for Douglas Adams' grave, and a raven caught. It's, I mean, you can't see anything because I mean, the trees are thick. There's vines everywhere. Huge tombstones and mausoleums are every place. And the only time I heard a raven was as I was walking through the cemetery. And seconds, literally seconds after that, I was chewing a piece of gum and, and one of my fillings came out. Oh, God. So, I mean, that's really not that scary, but, you I mean, what, what the fuck? I mean, it could have happened anyway without the raven cawing. The raven kind of put an ominous feel to it. Yeah, that would just be unpleasant. Is definitely the, uh, you know, losing a filling anytime is kind of like, oh god. But then, yeah, ooh, Jesus, that's it's kind of gross and creepy. So you get points for that. As as a beer aficionado, what what were you uh, what, what was your take on the beers over in the UK? The um, well, of course, you know everybody's heard that they're not served. You know, they're they're not cold. They're not chilled. You know, so I was expecting, like I'd been warned by people, that they were going to be room temperature. Well, they, they keep the, the, the kegs down in the, in, in the in basement, so the beer's cool enough. It is cold enough. Yeah. Uh, I The first thing I bought there was a Guinness. Uh, that's one of my all-time favorite brews. And I, I've been told by people that it tastes different in the U.K. And to me, it didn't. To me, okay, it yeah. exactly like it does in the States. But I, everything else I had there, well, the Guinness was fantastic, but everything else I had there was great. Uh, Fuller Products, Fuller's Brewery in London. Uh, the London Pride was especially good. Uh, there was uh, an Italian beer called Peroni that was that was excellent. And the Lebanese beer that I can't pronounce was, was pretty good. All right. But, yeah, I was really happy with the alcohol selection. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic over there. I, uh... I I was a big fan of Cronenberg. I used to drink that all the time when I lived in London. I yeah, I used to drink that in college. There was a little little bar in the in the, the college, the town town where I went uh, to went to school, and uh, they had a huge selection of foreign beers, and they had Cronenberg 1664, and it's it's a good beer. Yeah, that's amazing. I want to go live in that town. Jesus, that sounds awesome. Because here you have to go out of your way to get it. So I'm impressed. Yeah, and well, yeah, and. Uh, the other thing about the, the beer I really liked is uh, that, that's a, a beer drinking country, which you know warms my heart. 
But anytime you go to the, the pub, you go for lunch. I mean, everybody had a pint in front of them. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was no big deal to have a pint or two at lunchtime. We really need to follow the Brits on that. Yeah, it's a much more chilled out uh, place with regards to that. That's what I. That's what I liked about it. You know. I think you could. Well, I think. Be... Go ahead. Go ahead, Tim. Well, I was gonna say. I think uh, from what I, I, I befriended. Uh, I befriended the Pakistani men who ran the uh, liquor store next to my apartment because there was literally one next to my apartment, which is not a good, healthy uh, <laughs> thing for me, but uh, especially when I was in college. And uh, they, they told me you could just drink on the street. So I would like literally go down and buy a, a six-pack of Cronenberg and, and drink it on the way back to – not all all of it, but you know, crack one open as I'm walking back to my apartment. And I was just like, this might be the greatest city in the world. Many things made made me think that. I, one of the things that the only culture I did have a little bit of culture shock when I came home, which it, it sounded weird to me when I first said it, because of course I've lived all my life in the states, and I, I was gone for a month, and I come back and I have a little bit of culture shock. But it was the noise. Everything over there was quiet. The horns yeah. on, on cars were, you know, pretty quiet. Nobody blared music anywhere. You couldn't hear somebody's TV as you walked by. You know, while walked by an apartment building, nobody on on the tube talked. They people didn't talk on the street. They didn't yell on the street. They didn't, you know, say hey, how you doing as you're walking by. Everybody just kept to themselves. So when yeah. I came home with two small kids running around and neighbors, you know, a neighbor who's uh, got a garage band. Yeah, my, I thought my head was gonna explode. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty. Uh, well, what did you think of? Beyond the uh, beyond the 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 noise thing, it's a it's an interesting sort of like culture. Obviously, it's it's really quite different from America. Yeah, the um, uh, well, just uh, the the first thing that that I noticed, I mean, was people walk like they drive. I just, yeah. you know, you walk on the left side of the left side of the, the the pavement, the sidewalk. You walk on the left side of the uh, of, of stairs. Uh, you know, people were were friendly enough, but uh, again, kept kept to themselves. It, um, I, I I felt extremely comfortable there. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I I totally agree. It was uh, I I would often be walking around there like at two in the morning. I never felt like I was in any danger or anything. So it was uh, it was a very safe place. I felt so. Hopefully, it's still the same way. And and I noticed too. I I don't know if you ran into this. I thought it was really interesting and. Maybe it's like this in big cities in America, but I've never encountered it. Um, it's like on the escalators. There's two. There's like there's like two lanes on the escalator for the people who stand and for the people who who walk up the escalator. And it was like this huge faux pas for you to be standing on the walking side. And if people were walking behind you on, if you're on the walking side and you weren't walking, someone behind you would be like walking, and you'd have to get the hell out of the way for them. Do you ever know right, that at right. all? Uh, well, yeah, I, I noticed that absolutely with with escalators, and you know, I, I found myself in the way a few times and apologized, and you know, people just kept walking. That that was that was <laughs> interesting. I I think that one of the cool the the cool things though is if you bump into a Brit, and it's your fault, they will apologize to you. Yeah. Which which, well, is, they're, which they're, is terrific. I mean, it, the politeness was was fantastic. Yeah. Not that I went out yeah. of my way to bump into people. Well, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, 
I thought it was. I also I I was really enamored with uh, the media over there too because I lived in a flat and I was pretty poor at the time, so we only had the regular TV. I don't know what you had uh, while you were living there. If you if you had a satellite, if it got bigger since I left or what. But we I only had like five channels. Uh, like we had cable or satellite or something like that. You lucky bastard. Yeah. Well, well it, I didn't watch a lot of TV while I was there. I tried to be out doing as much as I could. <laughs> Did you? I, I presume as the since the, you were teaching a class while you're over there, right? Yes. But you like it, that must be pretty cool though, because like you just teach the class and then you're kind of free to go. You don't really have to. You, you, like the kids could do whatever the hell they want at night, and you t- you can too, right? It's not like uh, oh. it's not like a field trip kind of thing. Well, yes, yes, and no. Uh, I didn't have any responsibility to the kids whatsoever, ever, other than teaching them. So nice. we would meet, we would meet at, uh, at in our classroom in the mornings, uh, talk for probably about an hour, and then I'd take them out on a field trip for the next five hours, and we'd just explore London as much as possible. That sounds and awesome. Sometimes it's, it, no, it was yeah, it was it was awesome. It was so it was it was you know London. London was the classroom uh, mostly. So I mean that that was that was fantastic. But whenever we were done, the kids down, the students went their own way, and uh, and and I went mine, and I could you know go do whatever I wanted to, which was which was which was pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. And your family was okay with you being gone for a month. I guess they had no choice, right? No, I just I went. No, I talked it over with them before I left. And nice. we and uh, I took my laptop, and uh, uh, so we skyped a few times a week. And yeah, I think the, the only the biggest the biggest problem I had is. Is my uh, my six year old lost one of her front teeth when I was gone? <laughs> well, if that's the worst thing, then you're in good shape. Yeah, I'm in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, we we got about forty five minutes left. Let's uh, let's encourage callers here because I want to I want to experience the callers. I, I'm sorry, I didn't push this at all last week, and I'm surprised no one uh, jumped on it. You know, and you can be the first ever caller on the live show. So you can be like a historic uh, person in the annals of uh, BOA audio history by being the first ever caller. So um, I guess I'll give out the number, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, don't call in because you might be calling into some other weird show that, you know, you're going to be calling into the Pet Grooming Weekly program, and you're going to be like, I got a question for Jason Offit. And they're going to be like, what, what is, I don't know what you're talking about. This is this is uh, Billy's Pet Grooming. So here's the uh, the number if you're listening live, 646 646- Three seven eight eighteen sixty eight. Call in, talk to us. Uh, if you got a question for Jason, or uh, you know, just want to uh, join in on the fun. Now, you've been st- you still in the realm of the paranormal, though, right? Oh yes, I still actually yeah. I write uh, I write three columns a month uh, for uh, for an Australian website, so I got I got paranormal stuff going on. Um, you know, any, anything that kind of kind of comes up, I, I I still try and delve into. Yeah, what's the what's the you know what what's kind of been tickling your fancy lately? Anything particular since you got back from the UK? Uh, been sort of crossing your desk. Oh, uh, paranormal wise, no. I mean, it, it, it's been been a little slow. On uh, one of my my absolute favorite uh, topics is is time travel, and yeah. uh, and I don't get nearly enough nearly enough of those stories. I. I uh, I've got a number of ghost stories. I did uh, my latest uh, latest post. I uh, I put up. Do you are you familiar with the uh, with the angel story out of Missouri? Uh, 
there was a car wreck earlier in the earlier in the month, and uh, during uh, this this girl was was trapped. She was pinned inside her vehicle, and uh, the the fire department couldn't get her out. And all of a sudden, this priest walks up and starts praying. And he's got anointing oil, and he's anointing everybody. And at one point, he goes, "Now your equipment will work." And then he walks off. And another fire truck pulls up, and the equipment they have opens up the truck, and the girl gets taken to the hospital, and she's going to be fine. But the priest disappeared, and they, there was like 70 pictures taken at the accident, and the guy was no not in the pictures. Nobody could find him anywhere. There, Weird. Did you, did you, yeah. Uh, I heard the story. I think I heard. I heard they found him eventually, though. But I'm not. I'm not yeah, positive about yeah, they, what that's all about. No, they did. Yeah. He. Uh, anyway, but that 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 was the story. And the guy a week later comes out and says, "Okay, it was me. I was just I was just driving driving through, saw the accident, thought I'd stop by and give my help and support." All right. So all all that was going on. People were saying, "Oh, this guy's an angel," and all of a sudden, "Oh crap, he's not." Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Uh, but I, because because of that, somebody contacted me with a similar story, and I've, I've known this person for years and did not know the story, and it was almost identical. The guy, uh, he was uh, second or third grade, something like that, and he said his dad's girlfriend was driving me back to my mom's because she was the most sober, <laughs> and she had she had she had a wreck. She flipped the vehicle, and there were two kids in in, in the truck. Uh, the guy I was interviewing, he'd been thrown from the vehicle and, and had a broken femur. The other kid was trapped in the truck. And uh, this woman got it. This is back in 1991. She gets up. She starts walking to the nearest house to call, call the authorities. And while they're waiting, this car pulls up and a man comes out. And he tells the, the, the guy I interviewed, he tells him, you're going to be okay. The other, the other boy who's trapped in the truck is screaming bloody hell. Uh, the 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 main guy Jesse guy, who I interviewed said he was saying words I'd never known before. So the kid was cussing up a storm. But the preacher, this preacher guy goes over because this guy Jesse's convinced he was a preacher. Goes over, talks to him for for a couple minutes, and boom! Immediately the kid shuts up. And the preacher comes back and starts praying and starts praying. Uh, starts praying that the authorities uh, that the ambulance gets there. Then all of a sudden the ambulance pulls up. You know, and then the the guy, you know, says, oh, in the name of, you know, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you know, I, I, I bless you. And then he gets up, and the ambulance, the, the, the ambulance driver and other EMPs come up and put the, put this guy in the ambulance. But when he gets up, and when they pick him up, he's like, okay, where's where's the preacher? Where'd he go? And the guy's like, nobody else is here. And the preacher was kneeling next to him praying as the ambulance driver and the EMTs came up to this kid, and nobody... Nobody saw him. Nobody saw the vehicle he was in, even though uh, the ambulance parked right in front of the vehicle. So this is, this guy's not. He said, I, "I'm not going to say he's an angel, but uh, I don't know what the hell happened." That's just weird. And, and yeah. I hear, yeah, I, I mean, I hear stories, you know, stories like this this all the time. They're they're pretty cool, but uh, what, what do you make of it? I don't know. Yeah, you don't know really. Yeah, yeah, you can't do much with that. That's uh. That's pretty weird. Um, well, at least it's not the wicked priest, right? We've talked about that whole thing. <laughs> what is it with One of priests? One uh, favorite stories, yeah. Yeah, mysterious, uh, mysterious stuff. Now, you wrote a I, – I, I mentioned the – I noticed that you mentioned the, the time travel stuff because I have noticed that some of your latest stuff's kind of been 
getting into that. You did a story here uh, about a lady who went into a parallel dimension. Uh, her name was uh, Carol McElhaney. Does that ring a bell? Uh, yes. Yes, it does. Um, I don't want to spring it on you, but I, I figured it was kind of weird enough that it might be something that uh, would interest us. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, she uh, was uh, was driving. Uh, she she's in, into dog shows, and she was driving to uh, to Paris, California. It's not spelled like Paris, France. It's P E R R I S. Uh, anyway, she was she was going from uh, San Bernardino to, to to Paris, and as she topped this hill, she saw a road sign for Riverside, which she grew up there. Her uh, she lived there when she was in college, uh, rented a house. Her grandparents and, and aunt and uncle lived there. So she thought, you know, I'd, well, I'm just going to drive drive through one day while I'm down in Paris uh, at, the, at the dog show. So after after the show one morning, she gets up and, and goes, and it was pouring down rain, which she said is really odd for that, that, that time uh, in that area of California. But anyway, it's pouring down rain, and she goes, and she can't find the house where she where she lived after college. She she went down the right street. She had the right street numbers, but all the houses were were wrong, and they were more modern ranch style houses, not the ones that had been there. And yeah. that just floored her. She went uh, to the street where her grandmother's house was, and, and it was gone. And then she went to the uh, to the to the cemetery where her grandparents were buried, and it was just an fenced in empty lot. And it was starting to really freak her out, and she went went down this uh, um, main thoroughfare, and and there was a school, a middle school that she knew, and and the college uh, was there, but restaurants she'd been to and other place stores she'd shopped at were were not there, and she said the place was just completely trashed. So she got a little frustrated and nervous, and she turned around to leave. She she thought about getting out and looking at a phone book or, or stopping and talking to anybody. But she had a feeling that if, if she did that, if she got out of the car, if she she looked in the phone book, if she talked to somebody else, she was going to be trapped wherever she I was. was. Cause she, yeah. yeah she I was going to say she that. She might get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So she um, she just keeps going. She goes back, back to Paris. And she was pretty scared when she got there. The rain had stopped. But she was scared that she'd get out and, you know, the hotel would be closed or the hotel – uh, the door wouldn't open. It'd be locked. She wouldn't have been checked in. But everything was normal. And so she stayed for the remainder of, of, of the dog shows, and then she went home. And a couple of years later, uh, there was a death in the family, and so she went back to Riverside and to, to go to this funeral. Everything was, was how it was supposed to be. She drove by the house that she lived in in college, the cemetery, um, was her dad was buried next to her grandparents. So it was her, her father's death, and and so the cemetery was exactly the same as, as it was supposed to be. Her grandma's house was. Uh, the restaurant that she'd seen that was closed was open and in good condition. It never closed. She asked people, so she's pretty convinced that she went into some you know parallel dimension. She she doesn't feel like she time traveled, but but she was in the same place. It was just different. Weird. Well, you. You wonder, like, where are the people, like, you know, I'd like to hear from someone that isn't from our dimension that got get crossed into ours and got stuck. That would be a cool story if there's anybody out there that that ever happened to. But they'd probably be, like, locked I've, up in a mental hospital or something. 
Well, there was a guy, the story, uh, a man flew, uh, flew into Japan. Um, I'm trying to remember the details. This has been a number of years ago. And he flew into Japan, and his passport was, was well used, and it was stamped a bunch of places, but it was from a country that didn't exist. And he was insisting he was from this country. He had money from that country. He was looking for the embassy of that country because, you know, nobody believed that it existed. And yeah. eventually the guy, you know, went to the bathroom and disappeared. Jesus. But that's a pretty cool, you know, interdimensional sort of sort of story. Yeah, I don't know even know what to make of that. Um, now, we, we put the call out for callers, so we've got someone here uh, in the 417 area code, which Google tells me is uh, the Missouri area. So it, it serves That's... the southwestern quadrant of Missouri. Yeah. So that inclu- yeah, that includes Branson, Carl Junction, Carthage, Joplin, Lebanon, Neosho, Nixa, Ozark, and uh, others that I'm too lazy to look at. So 417 area code, uh, you're on the air. What's going on, 417? Hey Tim, it's nice to talk to you and Jason. Yeah, I good live to have in, you on the uh, show. All right, Springfield, Missouri. Who are we talking to? What's the What's the name there, pal? Oh, I'm Hillbilly. Ah, Hillbilly from the forum. Okay, this right, is Hillbilly. Right. He's he a denizen of the chat and the forum, Jason. So uh, he he is familiar to me, but new to you. So and and, and from well, Offutt country. Yeah, all right, well, and Hillbilly, let me uh, let me like, throw this out there, a Hollywood connection. The the guy, Paul Henning, who wrote the Beverly Hillbillies is from Independence, Missouri, and he came up with oh. the idea of the show because he used to go visit a friend who had a cabin down in the Springfield area. Well, so that's yeah, where he got the idea. <clears throat> yeah, Branson, I believe. Yeah, Branson, Missouri. But uh, I was uh, wondering, Jason, have you ever uh, looked into the spook light? Down around Joplin. Uh yeah, the Hornet Spook Light. I went uh I went down there, uh I researched it. It's in one of my books. I uh interviewed quite a people quite a few people from the Seneca area who uh have seen the, the spook light. Well first for people who don't know what it is, it's uh there there's a, a gravel road that's really it's in southern Missouri, south uh western that's a stone's throw from Oklahoma and, and Arkansas. And a light about the size of, of a basketball uh, will come down the road, uh, dance on the hood of your car, go through your car, and then keep going down 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 this gravel road. And people have seen it uh, ever since white settlers came to the area. Uh, it has been uh, investigated. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers investigated it in like 47 or 48, and blamed right. it on blamed it on on, on car headlights. But that doesn't explain, you know, the, the, the sightings in the 1800s. But yeah, I, I anyway, that's just a little history. I I went down there, and uh, one of the people I interviewed had seen it a number of times. The first time is back in the 30s when she was when she was a kid. I asked her where I should park to, to have the best view of the thing, and she goes, "Just stop where there's the most beer cans." So <laughs> that's where I I stopped and I, and I waited uh, until like 2:30 in the in the evening. And when I started hearing uh, gunshots, I decided I should probably leave. But I, I didn't see it. Uh, my other question, uh, Ted Phillips and uh, Marley Woods, have you ever had any interaction with Ted over Marley well, Woods? Actually, Ted and I spoke at the same conference just 
two different days, and I was gone by the time he spoke. I was really wanting to talk to him about that, but uh, but I, but I didn't. All, all I know about it is things things that I've read. Now, now I've only vaguely heard. And... Yeah, I've only vaguely heard about it. Tell me, tell me a little bit about Marley Woods. Uh, what's this all? About? Is this like a is this like a like a Skinwalker Ranch type situation? Yeah, same same sort of thing. Weird, and that's in Missouri. Yes. Wow. Yeah, Ted Phillips is a really interesting guy. He's been uh, investigating the paranormal for many, many decades. Yeah, I'm familiar with his work. I just haven't really dug into the Marley, uh, the Marley Woods thing yet. Now, Hillbilly, have you experienced these lights that you were asking about, or is this also something you've just heard about? Well, no, I uh, haven't ever made it down the spook light. And uh, I know Marley Woods is in this area, but I'm not sure exactly where they kind of kept the lid on, you know, where it is, so people yeah. don't flock to it. But uh, at any rate, well, I appreciate talking to you guys. Uh, you've got a heck of a show going, Tim, and and uh, keep up the good work. Well, thank well, you for calling in, Hillbilly. What? Go ahead, Billy, before you leave, before you leave, I, I want to ask if you've heard of um, uh, any of Charles Teague's work. Uh, he's uh, the Missouri Mystery Mound, which is down in the Mark Twain National Forest. Have you heard of any of that? No, no, I haven't. Uh, tell me more. Well, uh, Charles, he's been investigating this for for years and, and you know, quite a couple of decades. Uh, He's he's convinced that uh, in, in down there, and he's 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 been been to it. Has not been inside, but there's a, an area down there uh, that he calls the Missouri Mystery Mound that has uh, carvings, um, ancient carvings. Um, he's he's convinced uh, that the Ark of the Covenant's buried there. Uh, he, he said that there's some carvings of, uh, of extraterrestrials on on uh, you know, on cave walls. He's been run out of there by by uh, by people he's you know convinced are either the government or meth users he's not sure but uh, I I wrote a piece on that on uh, the mysterious universe website back in May it's pretty pretty fascinating stuff I'll have to dig that up and look at it because I'm I'm not aware of that well you'll go have to check that out hillbilly after the show and uh, report back to us what you find out <laughs> okay well we'll talk to you guys later. All right, thanks for calling in, pal. Bye. There you go, the first ever uh, caller to BOA Live. Thank you to Hillbilly right. for the historic moment. And he's from my home state in a town I've been to, so that uh, even makes it better for me. I know. Well, I was concerned. I didn't know who, who could be calling from Missouri that, you know. That I was afraid it was Stanton, quite frankly. I was afraid it was Stanton. <laughs> <laughs> If we were going to answer the line, he'd be like, yeah, it was me. What's it to you, man? Yeah. Have you... What's that? He'd start yelling at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, Stanton, relax. I'm not a ghost. I'm alive, dude. You don't, we don't need any We don't need any trouble. <laughs> uh, now, any... any You know, you're kind of famous here uh, with the listeners for these these stories about weird entities and stuff. Have you... Got any new tales of uh, weird entities or any updates on uh, weird entities or, or anything, uh, you know, regarding strange things, harlequins or wicked priests or black-eyed kids or, you know, little trolls or fey girls or any of that, any of that good stuff? Anything uh, on the horizon there? 
No, you know, the only thing that uh, I've, I've talked to people about uh, that don't fit in any of those any of those categories is uh, I'm not exactly sure how to describe this. Uh, it, it's kind of like a manta ray that is barely visible. Uh, you know, kind of like kind of like you've got a, you know the uh, the predator's cloaking device on. Uh, I've, I've talked with a couple of people who've seen something like this. One was uh, specifically a guy from the Del Mar, California, that, that I, I interviewed. He uh, went uh, surf fishing and and uh, took his haul back home. And it was like nine o'clock at night. It was still you know kind of kind of duskish. And uh, he was cleaning his fish, having a beer, and he, he looked out across the road, and there was a thing that looked like uh, an opaque. Um, opaque manta ray floating about the, the, the height of, of the power lines. And he stared at it, and he just the thing, it looked like it noticed him, and then it started dive-bombing him. Oh, weird. And two or three, two, after two or three dive-bombs, the thing, the thing went away. Um, he, he did encounter it one more time. He was up in his second-floor second floor bedroom, and he, he had the feeling he was being watched, and he turned around and looked, and it was outside his window. And uh, he shut the window blind and kind of got out of that room, but uh, not not sure what to, what to make of that one yet. Yeah, that's pretty weird. You like like a I don't even know because manta rays are like sea creatures, so it shouldn't be flying around anyway. So maybe it's who knows? Maybe it's some kind of uh that that that's the you know I'm sure you I don't know if you heard about this weird like new animal they found recently, right? Did you hear about that thing? Uh, I'm not sure. Enlighten me. It's some kind of like weird little raccoon-looking thing that uh, that they found recently. Oh yeah, I don't know it's the name. pretty cute. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Adorable. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like uh, if I was rich, I'd immediately want one for a pet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the Olinguito, it's called. But uh, what I was gonna say is it's it stands to reason that uh, the that. If there was a weird, undiscovered, sort of uh, unique flying creature, that it would be even harder to find and get, because it would just fly away. You know what I mean? Well, and there are things, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there are so many things that there are reports on, and, you know, people are going to scoff at this, but there are tons of reports, uh, especially from uh, Texas and the desert southwest and and Mexico, and quite a few over in in Africa of, of... Flying things that look like pterodactyls. Oh yeah. You know, and it, it, yeah, and, and and Thunderbird sightings from like Pennsylvania and Ohio. Um, I mean, things like that are going to be um, a lot harder to, to to find than something you know hanging hanging on a tree. But, exactly. Uh, there there are yeah there there are so many. I just I'm so fascinated by cryptozoology. Uh, there are so many things out there that I'm sure we're going to find at some. Uh, this is a known creature, but it's supposed to be extinct. But there are tons of reports of the thylacine uh, out of Australia, which is an extinct uh, marsupial wolf. That, uh, okay, was yeah, yeah. Hunted, yeah, it was hunted to extinction. The last one, I think, died in like 1936 or 1939 in a, in a zoo in Hobart. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was hunted to extinction, but people still see these things every once in a while. You know, that's something that's going to crop up at some point. I still have my fingers crossed and he's gonna run over a Bigfoot with a you know, with a tractor trailer truck. Yeah, I'm we can only hope. give crap if it dies or not. <laughs> you get so many you, people you, out there saying, Yeah, I don't want to kill it, but you know what? Yeah, kill the thing. 
Thank you. See, I'm in the same camp, and I've, I've, I've gotten distressed emails from people that are like, no, don't kill the Bigfoot. It's like, no, just kill the Bigfoot. Enough's enough. You know, if the Bigfoot's eluded us this long, I think it'll do all right if we get – there can't be just one left. So we can afford to take one out just for – just for the sake of uh, of argument, I guess you could say. <laughs> be like, here we got it. Yeah, the thing, I mean, there's got to be more. If, if they exist, there's got to be more than one. And even if it is extremely human-like, you know, just kill the goddamn thing and get it over with. I mean, I don't want it extinct. I just want to know what it is. Exactly. Plus, the only way we can really protect it is if we, you know, if we know, if we can prove it's real. So they always say you got to have a body to... To prove it's real, so if we did, then we could be like, all right, now we can protect it, you know. And, you know, anybody out there thinking that it's going to be a bad thing to kill a Bigfoot, just think about this. We might discover it's delicious. <laughs> I never would have thought that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you that would be – if you think people would be upset that you killed the Bigfoot, because, like, in some places you can go to jail for killing the Bigfoot, even though it's not officially real yet. Uh, so – can you imagine how hated you'd be if, like, if you're like, yeah, I killed a Bigfoot and I ate it? So you're like, they're like, oh, awesome, give us the body. And it's like, uh, there's a problem with that. I ate it. Yeah, it's well, no, Bigfoot's pretty, pretty big. You know, I just, I just ate the lower, you know, the hindquarters or the, I just have Bigfoot ham and big, Bigfoot jerky. Yeah. So like, well, yeah, you can have yeah. the leftovers if you want, because that could help. Yeah. <laughs> I hate liver. Oh. Have the Bigfoot liver. Now, do you think we're ever going to get the Bigfoot for real, or or what? Because it's, you know, part of me's like, part of me's like, oh, it's, it's inevitable that they're going to get the Bigfoot eventually. But then another part of me's like, maybe there's something more to it that it's so elusive that there's something, you know, that the, there's something to the elusiveness that makes it impossible to catch or something paranormal or whatever. I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I don't because I've read and, and read so many stories and talked to so many people about you know their opinions on on Bigfoot being a paranormal entity and then you know the way it you know shows up and disappears and there are a lot of a lot of stories that have Bigfoot you know related to UFO encounters. It's like well okay maybe maybe it's it's got something you know else going for it. That's why it's been so elusive, but. I'd, I'd like to think that it's a you know just a flesh and blood creature we haven't we haven't seen before. So yeah. I I think out of out of all of these things, you know, out of out of Bigfoot, Chupacabra, uh, lake monsters, any of this stuff, you know, if lake monster hasn't floated to the surface by now, it's not going to happen. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of a Bigfoot getting hit by a car. Uh, that's probably the most likely thing to happen. You know, so of all the crypto beasts that are you know, to this point, mythological. I'm thinking that that's probably the the one that we're most likely to get uh, get our hands on. Yeah, it would be a it would be a great day. You just hope it falls into the hands of somebody that's like cool and not not like those dudes uh, who held the big Tom press Carter. conference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. We want someone uh, someone cool to hit the Bigfoot. You wonder if uh, you know. I suppose it would it would get out if somebody hit the Bigfoot. There wouldn't be like a Bigfoot uh, cover up, you know what I mean? But that that's a that's a that's a story for you, you know. <laughs> well, and what's the because there there are so many stories that uh, you know of, of in, in in Vietnam that uh, you know some human like apes that that soldiers killed during during the war. I mean, there's stories like there's stories about the uh, the the Alma in Russia that's 
you know, with a with uh, Bigfoot-like creature that people actually captured. Hey, where the hell's the evidence? I want to see this shit. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Now, how do you get these stories that you that you detail in the books? It's just like people contact you with weird shit that happens to them? Well, and that, yeah, uh, a lot of times that's, that's how it happens. I've uh, Well, for my, my books, generally it's, it's research. I go out because I've got a theme with, with the books, and I go out and look for things. Uh, yeah. A lot of the stories that I, I write for blog posts and, and some magazine articles, uh, a lot of times people are like, okay, hi, Jason, I had this happen to me. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah, sure, I, I would love to hear about it. Uh, I, I found with my first book that people really didn't want to talk about paranormal encounters because they were, you know, afraid people would make fun of them. But since I've got yeah. so many things written to where I've treated people who have had paranormal encounters with you know, the dignity that they deserve and, you know, haven't made fun of them, that uh, a lot of people have sought me out because they know they're going to get, get a fair shake. That's good, yeah. That, that kind of, yeah. You know, it's kind of the purpose of my, my paranormal journalism class. It was like, okay, you know, I, I was frustrated with the news news media uh, you know, if there had been a Bigfoot encounter, they would have, you know, made a Harry and the Hendersons reference. You know, TV <laughs> news, if there was a, you know, Stevensville, Texas, all right, good example, they would play the, the X-Files music, on, you know, during the newscast. What kind of crap is that? That's, that's you know, discounting, immediately discounting anything somebody actually saw. So, yeah. So the class, you know, tra- training people to, to, to look at this objectively and realize that the people who, you know, you know, looked up and saw their grandmother had been dead for 15 years, staring at them through the window. That you know, that, that you know, they saw that. You, you can't make fun of them for it. It's like the Stanton story. It really happened. I mean, what are you going to do? I don't know. Tell it on Banal uh, of America's uh, live live episode. That's what <laughs> I'm going to do. There you go. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the Stanton guy. <laughs> I, he's uh, he's also a friend of mine on Facebook. I can get you oh, guys Stratton, Stratton. Vale said Stratton, yes, yeah. Stratton. <laughs> We've made him into a mini celebrity here uh, on, on the program. Now, what is this I see here? You're writing a you're writing a zombie novel, or you have written a zombie novel? Uh, what what is this? Well, yeah, I had um, uh, wrote it uh, two two years ago. I um, there's a, a National Novel Writing Month. Uh, it's every November. And people sign up, and uh, they try and write fifty a fifty thousand word novel in a month. And oh one of my former, one of my yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an insane amount of work. But uh, a former student of mine is also also an author challenged me. He said, "I'm going to write one. I can write one faster than you." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, bullshit. You're not going to do that." So uh, I, I, and it wasn't uh, Stratton. Uh, okay. <laughs> Another student. Anyway, so I, I sat down and, and uh, started working on a story I'd been batting around for, for quite a while, and uh, I didn't get it done in a month. It took me six months, but uh, I've got a, I got a zombie novel out. It takes place uh, takes place in the Midwest, and there's a lot of sex and violence, car chases, blood, beer, and nice. uh, some humor, because zombies are funny. What made you get... Decided to tackle the zombie thing just because they're kind of hot right now, or was it was it some kind of part of the contest, or just sort of uh, your own? You, you kind of you've done some you, you tinkered with a, with a, sort of an idea like that, right? Sort of like how to fend off zombies or monsters, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd done a, I'd, I'd written a book uh, about four years ago now, um, 
uh, How to Kill Monsters uh, in Your Own Home. Uh, basically, the book was about different, each chapter picks different monsters from zombies to vampires to velociraptors to, to clowns. Um, and it's how if one of them invades your house, you know, how are you going to kill it? You know, you, you know, you can't kill it with a spatula, but you know, the, the weed whacker will do really good on a, on a, on a troll. But anyway, yeah, I, I'd written that a few years ago and I got a, I got a few, uh, a few contract offers that weren't what I liked. So I'm, I'm working right now to self-publish it. But yeah, uh, the, the zombie book was, uh, I wanted to write a, uh, multi multi character uh, into the world novel and uh, zombies are pretty hot right now and I really am a big zombie fan so uh, I went with zombies over uh, over anything else. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It, it's gonna it's gonna be called the uh, the Dead Empty and uh, it's uh, due out uh, this fall. I haven't gotten uh, an exact release date, but uh, don't worry, Ken. I'll let you know. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Uh... I'm always interested in reading your stuff because I, I really enjoy it quite a bit. So I look forward to it. And uh, quick hits here. We're close to the end of the show. What's what's your thoughts on the uh, on the Kansas City Royals? Just to really uh, really irk the people that <laughs> hate the baseball. <laughs> talk. baseball. Uh, no, they just can't handle Detroit. <laughs> they've uh, they've improved their pitching staff. They're they're decent on defense. They still don't have enough offense. They can handle teams like uh, they're playing the Chicago White Sox tonight. I have no idea how they're doing. Uh, but they can handle the teams they're supposed to handle, but uh, they can't handle the Detroit. They, they do pretty good on uh, Boston. They yeah. uh, won uh, five out of seven games against Boston this year. Yeah, I made the mistake of doing some trash talking a couple of weeks ago uh, when Boston <laughs> visited the Royals, and I looked like an ass because they, uh, they got killed by Kansas City. So. They're they're pretty hot right now though. Uh, you know, I'm happy for them. It's good. Uh, it's good to see some of these, you know, more difficult uh, teams that have been going through some rough stretches kind of turning around, like the Pirates. And looks like uh, if the Royals can at least keep it together a little bit, they they should at least hopefully uh, finish with a winning record, which would be good, right? Well, I'm looking for a winning record. I mean, there's still uh, still a chance that uh, they can get uh, get a wild card spot. I, it's it's getting. Uh, the chance is getting smaller and smaller, but there's still a chance there. Um, at this, but at this point, they just lost to Chicago. Uh, yeah, I just checked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, at this point of the year, for the last, uh, you know, ever since 1995, um, no, 1985. That was the last uh, last playoff appearance uh, when we won the World Series in '85. Every time, uh, you know, it gets to this point of the summer, it's it's football season, and this year's <laughs> not. It's still baseball season. Which is which is pretty nice. Yeah, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. Now looking back, having I don't know how closely you follow it, but that that kid they traded for those two pitchers, he's really tearing it up down there in Tampa Bay. I mean, I don't know if it was a good trade or not yet. What what are your what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, cause we got, who did we get? We got Jamie Shields for him and somebody else. I can't remember off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, a couple guys from. Uh, uh, Couple guys from uh, from Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, yeah, I, I was not too happy to see uh, to see to see the prospect go, but you know we needed pitching. That, I mean, pitching was has been killing us, so yeah. they went out and got some. Pitching. We would not well, be above five hundred right now if, we, if it wasn't for for that trade. So I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Fair enough. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. 
But we'll see how it goes in a few uh, – I presume they have other good prospects, hopefully. So hopefully it won't be that big of a problem. John yeah, you know, we need to – well, we should we should lost our second baseman, uh, Miguel Tejada. No, I heard who, about uh, that. Yeah, he got like the third biggest suspension in Major major League history because he was on Adderall. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's Sorry, probably he's had a lot of exams to study for. Yeah, I'm sure he has. <clears throat> maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe when they said he was going to get drug tested, he – he started studying up and using the Adderall to uh, to make sure he could study. To bone, to bone up on the drug test, absolutely. <laughs> He's a strange cat, anyway. Uh, you know, but he. I remember a couple of years ago they like busted him for lying about his age. So, you know, it turns out he's like thirty six, and he said he was thirty four, and was like, "Oh, dude, come on." So, he's got it all going on. Now, Hillbilly, our friend who called in earlier, he wants uh, he wants me to ask you about uh, your time travel device. So, uh, didn't didn't you get one of those Napoleon Dynamite time travel devices? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, me and a couple guys from the physics department uh, put a grant together, a grant request, and we actually were we got money to buy a time machine. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's the one that you see in Napoleon Dynamite, and I think the most interesting part about it is uh, the guy who makes them. His name's Stephen L. Gibbs. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a farmer in, in Nebraska who claims that he was contacted by him from the future, who and the, the, the him from the future gave him uh, plans to build a time machine. So with equipment from Radio Shack, the guy has been building time machines and selling them on the internet. And I've actually talked to a few people who say they work. Uh, I've tried them, and they don't. <laughs> but maybe I'm not holding my mouth right or something. Did you? How do you put together a grant for something like that? Where you're like, okay, there's a guy on the internet selling time a time machine. We want to see if it works, or like, how, how do you how do you propose how do you propose that sort of thing? You know, this might sound pretty frivolous and that the grant request uh, process is pretty much BS, but um, I was using it for my paranormal journalism class because I had a section on time travel, and uh, the guys from the physics department were uh, writing a paper on time travel, and uh, they were wanting to to take the thing apart and and use it as part of the paper. So we actually had a couple of academic reasons for, for requesting it. And nice. again, the thing uh, <laughs> the thing came with uh, with, uh, with with photocopied instructions that were typed on a on a uh, an actual typewriter in all caps. And oh God! Two of the two of the main things it said was, or actually three. One, you've got to be pure of heart to use this. I guess maybe that's why it didn't work for me. Uh, I was going to say. Now we know why it didn't work for you. Yeah. That's why it didn't work for me. Uh, two, you cannot go to the year 2012. Okay, we've already been there, so maybe I can use it again. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, yeah. 2009. And the third thing was you had to put part of your DNA in what he called the witness well, which is this, <laughs> which is this recessed hole that you, you put quartz crystal in, and you put a, put spit on a piece of paper and drop it in there. Yeah, that's gonna okay, help I'm glad it was only spit. Well, I didn't. Uh, anyway, I'll go on from there. One thing is yeah. that it's not his blood, because that will call demons. So oh, when geez. I was using it in one of my 
when I was using it in one of my classes, one of my students pricked her finger and bled into the thing. Uh, I think she's still doing okay. I don't know. Maybe I should check up on her. Jeez. Just all and because she knew that it would summon demons. She was kind of like, uh, she was kind of pulling a strat in there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. These these kids, these ruffians you're uh, you're working with over there. Van <laughs> well, Elvis says uh, her name Emily Rose. Like the movie? Who? No. Yeah. What's that? Oh, I've never I've not seen the movie. I haven't either, but I, I'm, I'm familiar with the with the name of it. So, we're, we're in the final five uh, minutes. What what uh now? What's the title of the book here? The new one, uh, not not the travel log, but the zombie one, because the back of the book here says the Dead Earth. Is it a different title now? Yeah, that's we've uh, yeah we we've changed it uh, to the Dead Empty because uh, well for numerous reasons. One, uh, uh, by the time the end of the book's uh, there, the world's pretty much empty. But uh, yeah, that's that's it. And again, it's it's coming out sometime sometime in the fall. Uh, I'll have everything posted on my on my blog for people who uh, who want to want to keep up to date on it. Yeah, and that's uh, from hyphen the hyphen shadows dot blogspot dot com, right? Absolutely. All right, yeah, that's where folks can check it out, and uh, they can get an autographed copy of uh, Across a Corn Swept Land, an epic beer run through the Upper Midwest uh, by going there. So maybe I'll mail you my copy. You can sign it and mail it back. I would love to sign your copy, Tim. I would appreciate and that. I'm that would be pretty cool. I'd love to the book. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned is you really like Bill Bryson. Yeah. Uh, I had a, he, he lives in, he's from Iowa, but he lives in, in England. Uh, when I was there, I uh, for my travel writing class, finally I found a way to contact him because I wanted him to, to at least talk to my class via the phone. Uh, he mm-hmm. refused because he was busy, but uh, he was—he seemed really gracious. Seemed like well, a really nice. nice guy. All right. Well, you—I like how you made—you made it sound like he wasn't, because you said he refused. So, but—but but it turns out it was—he was, I he the, was just. Yeah, I picked the—I picked the bad word. He was busy. He was too busy to, to fit into our time, to our schedule. Which, I mean, he's—he's a, he's a best-selling author, so of course he was too busy. But yeah, yeah he was a pretty—pretty—pretty pretty, pretty decent guy. Well, like I said, I really enjoyed the book quite a bit. Uh, I can't recommend it enough for folks to uh, go out and check out. It's it's funny. It's informative. I learned a lot about you know this part of the country that I I think I have visited it just a little bit, but not nearly as extensively as you. And it's inspiring because I really want to get out and go go do stuff and go visit things. And and so uh, you know, hopefully you light a fuse in other readers too to go out and check it out. Any. Uh, any future, uh, obviously blog posts and whatnot, but any future paranormal stuffs uh, on the horizon, books or anything like that? The uh, no, I don't have any any book right now. There's, uh, like I said, I really love time travel stories, and uh, I'm really uh, I, I'm hoping to, uh, to to write a time travel book at some point. So I'll, I'll that would be awesome. Through time travel stories. So if anybody out there has had something strange like that happen to them. Time traveler in any sort of dimensional shift, uh, yeah. Please go to my blog and uh, get a hold of me. Absolutely, yeah. Did you ever get anything uh, from the time travel reporting center? I think uh, that was uh, what you had up for a while, right? Yeah, it's it's still it's still up. There's a link on my blog that uh, I, I put up for people to post their stories, and uh, yeah, I got I got one. I got somebody contacted me, but uh, it's been up for a few years now, and uh, 
And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, Jason, thank you for uh, partaking in BOA Live. I do appreciate it. and glad uh, we, we got through the little troubles there in the middle of the show. And uh, I wish you the best of luck, my friend. Tim and all, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate this. And, I'm uh, hey, I got the first call. So uh, let's, let's, let's hang that on me. There you go. Awesome. Folks, you can find out more about us at Banal of America, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. Check us out on Facebook, also under Banal of America. If you can help us out, donate via PayPal or our P.O. Box. You can find all that information at Banal of America. helps keep us on the air. Probably not going to have a show next Tuesday, but we're going to be back two weeks from now on September 3rd with a good parade reunion. And then we're going to have a massive guest on September 10th. Thank you, my friends. Good night, and see you next time.